This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Welcome back to the Michigan Insider and on Ticket TV as well. This is the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTK The Ticket. We are online at WTK.com and it's a Thursday. It's 9 o'clock hour. No Sam today. He is under the weather. Uh, he was, man, he battled through it yesterday. He had a burning throat. He could barely uh, talk. At least the pain was uh, there, but he found a way to fight through the last couple of days. But yeah, that was the end of that. He's taken. Uh, <laughs> if I would have gotten the text message instead of five o'clock in the morning, but like maybe the day prior, I probably would have come in yesterday. But yeah, I, he, five uh, o'clock in the morning. I'm no, like, I'm he, dead asleep, dog. No, I tried to explain that to him, but he uh, he gutted through it the best he could the last couple of days. Hopefully, he'll be back tomorrow. I'm not super optimistic because, well, for that matter, the weather is not helping. Having smoke through the air and having unhel- uh, the air quality uh, not be so good. Uh, is not going to help his cause, but we'll keep you posted on that. But in the meantime, it is time for the MGoBlog Roundtable. We say good morning to Brian Cook. Brian, how are you? Hello. And Seth Fisher. Good morning, Seth. How are you? Ira, it's weird talking to you on that side of the window, man. <laughs> it is a little different. Usually you just see my face as a through the screen as that box yeah, that says usually 10, you're, yeah. you're, Usually you're in the control room and, and Sam's like leaning all the way back in that chair. I don't know how that chair survives. He just <laughs> Yeah, and then I wave by and then nope. <laughs> uh, you guys don't see me anymore. But instead, uh, no, Sam is uh should have seen him yesterday. He was bundling up, he was getting a little chilly, he was like all bundled up and it was uh, it was a pretty wild uh, it was a pretty wild thing to see, uh, but we got a lot to get to here. Uh, the first thing I want to discuss with you guys is this phrase that we were talking about earlier. We were talking about it in the last segment, voluntary membership. I'm sure you guys have a lot of conversation about this. The memo that the NCAA sent out the other day to members to their members about that NCAA rules will supersede state law. Um, Seth, this just seems to be like a failed argument to start, but. Isn't that like kind of the NCAA's MO? They like to, they have all kinds of arguments that they seem like they're going to lose. And if they seem your to legal argument more. is so bad that non lawyers are like, oh, you're not going to win that one. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I, I understand that like they feel like they need to try something, but the state law pretty specifically calls them out to say you can't do this. So I don't know how much the NCAA wants to get into that fight because. What's going to happen is it's going to end up in the in court and they're going to be on the side where you get punished if you do something wrong. We talked about why do they want any, why does the NCAA want anything to go to court? The last time they went to court, they lost in a court that doesn't agree on as we talked about it the other day. The Supreme Court does not agree on anything, right? Pretty much. There's no unanimous votes on the Supreme Court pretty much on anything. Well, they're protecting but, the golden cow. You know, but this 9-0 vote, like, this is the one thing that they can all unify together, right? It's the same thing. States that have legislatures led by the Democrats and other states that have legislatures led by Republicans, they can all agree on NIL rules These and NIL laws. These are the only things that they can all that we can well, all seem I, to get. I mean, here's what they're facing right now. And the Texas law is um, far more, and I'm using, I don't want to get the super politics, but lowercase the word liberal than the other laws, right? That that one says it, it really... It, it goes way further than Michigan's law. It goes way further than so Texas, Arkansas, um, Mississippi, or might be leaving another one. Oklahoma um, have passed laws recently, and you know you got, you got Dooley on here yesterday, and he did a much better job of this stuff. But that's uh, that's what's going on. Some of these states are just kind of trying to jump each other, right? Everyone wants to be the the most liberalized version because then their schools will have an advantage over others and that's who's actually helped writing them if you act, look at like who's writing these laws right they're going and talking to the coaches of texas a&m saying what can we do for you right and the the, the ncaa that's their problem is that now they have members who are affecting public policy and if they can take a shot and maybe scare some schools into not doing that maybe that can 
and, and I think that's the, what they're trying to do. I think they're not going to get anywhere legally against Texas. But my guess is what they're trying to do, and maybe Brian disagrees, is scare other schools into going to their legislatures and trying to have this, you know, keep this going. Because what's going to end up happening is that the NCAA is going to get legislated out of existence because they're so hated right now. It's a really interesting dynamic in all of this because the New York one is the one that I found to be really fascinating because the New York law is very specific that basically, so I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the specific law in front of me, but the, I'm paraphrasing saying our law supersedes the NCAA and if the NCAA tries to punish you, you're not going to get punished. That's essentially what they said. So maybe the memo was the NCAA and this is all the NCAA's version of we I've been asking for legal help. We've been asking for congressional help. And if we at least force the issue, we may lose, but at least we'll get the help we're asking for. I don't, I can't, otherwise, I don't see the point of the memo in the first place. It just seems like a losing battle. Well, you've got a lot of people who have jobs that are getting obsolescent, right? It's true. So you've got to, you have the job. You're like, oh, I got to do something to justify my existence. And so, you get these things and you know if you find yourself in a similar situation probably like ah i gotta i gotta do something but the real the realistic situation for the ncaa is like it's over you have the texas a&m athletic director directly stating that we're ignoring this memo they're just like we're gonna go with state law and ross bjork was just like nah we're (laughs) we're ignoring this so at some point, I imagine the NCAA is going to try to come down on some school and they're going to end up in court again and they're probably going to lose again. And that's going to be it. Um, and, you know, at this point, what should the NCAA be fighting for? They should be fighting for the fact that kids got to go to class. Kids got to get degrees. Everything else I don't think is is palatable in the current environment. Everything else is also just, I think, kind of beside the point like honestly who cares if some kid is getting some cash on the side or the the texas legislature passes the most aggressive nil law in america like i mean what you see is that these nil decisions don't really seem to be changing a whole lot of the landscape in college football you had the texas a&m recruiting class the first year but that fell apart right like they went really ha- aggressively into the NIL space to get all those five stars, and they ended up with a five and seven season and a bunch of transfers. So I think that does demonstrate that there is more to it in in the modern recruiting world than just throwing bags of cash at people. So I, I actually think that's encouraging, and I, I think that we're going to a place where, you know, after the dust clears, that we're going to be in a spot that makes some sense. Uh, I, I wasn't quite sure of that when, when all this started, but at this point, yeah, I think it, it's in a pretty decent spot. We're two years, Saturday with the two-year anniversary of NIL coming into existence. I remember Miz and I were talking about this. There were a lot of alarmists. Oh, this is the end conversations from some people, basically like old traditionalists more than anything else, I think. And then as you said, Brian, probably people that are trying to hold on to their jobs that, oh, this is the end and it's, People are going to hate it. They're going to stop watching. They're going to this, they're going to that. Well, TV numbers look really good. And the interest levels look really good. The social media engagement looks really good. All that kind of stuff seems like all the alarmist stuff was for naught. And I think, Brian, I think your point is we're two years in. And over the course of the next couple of years, it will shake out and kind of flatten out and level out into what it will look like for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. And, and you saw some teams kind of go more heavily into it earlier. Um, and, but you're seeing teams like Michigan and Notre Dame, I get catch up, you know, we've had some statements from both, uh, Ward Manuel and Jim Harbaugh of late describing what they want to do in the space. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this and we don't have issues with it. I mean, Ward continually says things like, yeah, I don't believe in pay for play and that kind of stuff, which is either tremendously naive or tremendously cynical i can't figure out which one (laughs) uh but yeah it's uh we they have the collectives they've endorsed they announced an initiative on their own the state is moving to liberalize their nil laws a little bit too so it feels like whatever hang-ups or 
whatever Michigan had about this are, are fading over the course of time and that most teams are going to end up in similar spots depending on the resources they have. And I think you're seeing something that Michigan is doing right now that's really smart. And that's like, how many kids are going to be in this recruiting class? <laughs> it's going to be like 30. And they can do that now because NIL means that scholarship limits are very hypothetical. And so they can take six offensive linemen. And, and those offensive linemen, if it's two years from now, it looks like it's not working out for them. They can transfer if they want to, but they don't have to. They can transfer if they want to, and they won't have to sit out a year. So Michigan is taking a, an approach where it's like, okay, we're probably not going to be able to compete with the Georgias and the Alabamas to get six five-stars every year. But what we can do is we can take a bunch of guys who have the athletic profile that they could be really big successes. We're going to carry a roster of 100 maybe 110 that guys who are real scholarship players and we're going to try to develop them. And the ones that develop are going to play and the ones that aren't are going to move on probably. But again, they don't have to, if they don't want to, if they want to stay and become champions and all that stuff, they can do that. So Michigan is expanding their number of lottery tickets, which I think is a really good way to, to approach it for them. And yeah, it, ch it changes your margin of error. It makes it wider. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah I've used that phrase so often where Michigan has a smaller margin of error than everybody else in recruiting based on different things. This does widen that. Just a total aside, you mentioned scholarship numbers kind of being almost arbitrary at this point with NIL. I was thinking the same thing because I've heard you've said that exact thing multiple times. And I heard your voice saying it when I was reading the report about LSU's penalties and some reductions in scholarship. Like LSU, reduction in scholarship. Right. They have all the money they want anyway. It doesn't matter. That's Why not scholarship. It's just some booster giving you the money anyway to pay for it. Who cares? It's just who's paying for the, the, the tuition now. It's not, it's different. Yeah. And that's another, that. <laughs> another like, way that. that. That's just another way in which the NCAA's ability to actually level any uh, punishments has been curtailed. So it feels like right now, what's the only tool in the NCAA's toolbox? Well, it's a postseason ban. And they really don't want to do that. I mean, you'll see occasional one-season postseason bans, but you are never going to see like a, an SMU-style death penalty again. Never. And the, uh, the situation is just even if you do get caught doing something bad one your state law probably says it's okay and so you have a legal case and two the uh, ability of the NCAA to do anything about it is extremely minimal and you know they might be able to do something about individual actors so will wade got a show cause and can't recruit now that he's at i don't remember where he is <laughs> So there, there are some, there is some ability to to tell people that like, okay, your career is going to be damaged if this happens. But in terms of institutions, I think it's just really hard to make a case to enforce just about anything. So, you know, people go into this like, and they're like, oh, we got to be careful about this because we have no idea what the NCAA is going to do. And the answer is nothing. The NCAA is going to do nothing. And so, uh, there is some uh, benefit to being someone who's trying to actually do a good faith job of following rules. Like that's not something that I want to dismiss out of hand, but if you're not that kind of institution, <laughs> that's a free rate. I'm not to bite you. And by the way, Will Wade's at McNeese state now. Yeah. He's at McNeese state now. So yeah, I'm, we'll see you over the next, this is the thing we talk about with Dooley. And I know Seth, you've talked to him about it and you're going to be on there on the profession, the pod, uh, the profession, the pundit soon. And you'll be talking yeah. more about this. It's, he goes into class in his NIL class and he teaches them what happened like that week. And then he goes to the very next week and like that is like ancient history and he's got like all new things to teach. It's amazing I, how we're like living through this history now and he's teaching it in the moment and we yeah. talk about it in the moment. It is so rapidly changing and moving just with his little things, big things, a memo, whatever it might be. It's a lot in the last week. And he has months. to actually teach things that haven't happened yet. Because, you know, he's in the know and he's talking to everybody. So he know he knew M-Power was going to happen. And for anyone who doesn't understand, know what M-Power is yet, that's Harbaugh's answer to the problem that we have all these different uh, collectives going on, right? There's 
the one where it's a charitable, and there's one where like it goes to all the teams, and there's one that goes to the football players themselves, and and like there's all these different collectives that got formed because Michigan wasn't really in the business, and we started up quickly. Um, Harbaugh is now being the face of this. He's going to go and he'll talk to the the donors themselves and say, "Here's what this is. Here's what this is. Here's what this is." He's not taking their money, but he's kind of like the the go-between instead of all of them competing against each other, which is streamlining Michigan's system, which is finally unlocking the major donors. And that's why Michigan's NIL system has, in the last month or so, actually vastly improved. Everybody is much happier. And it, it happened very quickly. They didn't, really, they didn't think they were going to have the success as quickly as they did. Now, this had not been announced yet. This had not happened yet when I went to go talk to Dooley's class. And he's like, this is locked down. Seth, your media, do not say a word about this until it's out, <laughs> right? And, and, and that's how he has to teach because he's got a class. He's got to educate these students on what's going on. But it's happening so fast that he needs insider information to be taught in his class at a university on the subject because it's changing that quickly. And, you know, he has to hedge and he has to. And I think Jimmy King was just in there recently talking about things that are again embargoed. Until and until that information comes out, so there's it's happening very rapidly, especially in Michigan because we finally are getting going. Um, one of I think I understand where Ward Manuel's at. The NCAA when they wrote the rule, it was not like they sat down and figured out what they want NIL to look like and wrote a rule. They put something out quickly, and I think any attorney who's listening is just like, yeah, I know what it's like having to follow a law that the lawmakers did not think two seconds about, and then you're like responsible for, uh, and, and they have to deal with the Michigan side too, and it's and lawyers always want more time, right? Give me, don't don't make me make a decision that's going to get us in trouble. And finally, Harbaugh said, I gotta go. You know, it's late June. I got you know when when football starts, I'm doing football. This is my opportunity to recruit. We got to get this going now. Um, and that finally put pressure on Michigan to make a move. Now, the reason why you didn't see the same thing happening at other schools is because they've been in business since 2001. It's not like they had to take a new operation. Do they just had to bring the same operation uh, above ground and they were go and they were ready to go? All right, guys. Obviously, this conversation is ever evolving. I'm sure we'll be having more conversations about this throughout the summer and into the fall. But we're going to move the conversation forward. One other, I guess, it is legislative uh, related uh, as the what the, the state house passed the uh, the rule now that, that alcohol in stadiums on college campuses is coming sooner rather than later you think that means it's coming sooner rather than later alcohol sales to michigan stadium um probably i guess i mean it's another revenue stream i just remember i went to a minnesota game <clears throat> and minnesota had already legalized alcohol sales and it was just like I was on the aisle and it was bad because <laughs> everybody was like going down to get a beer and they're coming back to get a beer and then they're going down to go to the bathroom and they're coming back. And I was like, man, I hope Michigan stadium never has alcohol sales. <laughs> so if you're on the aisles, this is a bad, bad thing for you. Or if you're low in the bowl, like row three and you got to get back up to like row, whatever, seven, you go to the bathroom. That's a lot well, of stairs to get back up. Well, you know, like if you're in row three, you have the personal choice to, to partake or not. <laughs> but uh, if you're on the aisle, you're just going to be like, oh, man, these guys with their Bud Lights. Come on. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know that the, the security is way better today, but I, when I was in college, we didn't have any problem getting alcohol into the stadium. You know, you, you brought in a you, you filled your Coke with like 50 percent captain and and, that, and you're ready to go, and like that's what you have. Like, um, people have been dry, and people tailgate all day, especially because games start later to most of the time now. Like, you still have some noon games left, but uh, you know, there's so many night games now. There's three thirty games so many, so often now, and people have all day to tailgate. So by the time they're in the stadium, it's not like the inebriation level I think is going to rise that much that you can buy an eighteen dollar beer at Michigan Stadium. They actually say that selling alcohol in the stadium, even at $18 a beer, does curtail some of the binge drinking before the game, which actually is a health factor that is good for the fans, I guess, because you don't, because you're, you're not trying to slam those last three or four before you go in because you know you can drink when you get in. Although at $18 a beer, maybe you're still listen, slamming the last three or listen, four before you go and in. I, and I, I know the guys in particular, they're, they're, you know, there's a 
tailgate right near the edge where they take a, you know, they slam a hot dam before they go in. And it's the worst idea of all. And, and all these people always say, I, I, I can't go to that tailgate anymore because they all slam a hot dam before you go inside. Um, and that's, that's it's not going to change, man. People are going to drink in the tailgates. People are going to get their beers. But, like, the game is so long now that I, I know Brian's like, you know, well, no, people are getting in and out of the aisles. You need something to do with these games, man. Like, you have huge <laughs> piece, periods of time when there's just nothing going on. When you're playing Indiana, come on, like let people yeah, if have. If you a have beer. a four minute TV break, it's probably enough time to go get a beer. Yeah, and like that's, you get a hot dog or anything else. It, this has never been an issue that big of a deal for me. Michigan fans, you know, if it, it's a noon game and things are, we're going to be nuts or we're going to be rowdy and whatever. It's it's not going to change things that dramatically. No, I don't think it will either. I'm just curious if I'm not sure you it, you can get the infrastructure in place in 65 days. Maybe they can. We'll find out because we're 65 days away from the. Uh, the start of the football season. That's a lot of infrastructure to get in place. If not, I imagine that's season, that the groundwork, you know, sometimes like you need a certain piece to be done. Like, for example, like if you're waiting for the running backs article for Halo Victors and like the, the writer just not sent it to you yet, you can lay out the pictures. You can get the roster on there, right? You can like figure out, like, you can put some lorem ipsum text in there and count exactly how many characters you need so like you know where to cut to. Like, you can, you can prepare, you can be ready to go. When the when it comes down, so you're not just like okay, now it's legal. Let's figure out how to put beer in the stadium. A little bit of subtext there. All right, we're gonna take a break. <laughs> Speaking of Hail to the Victors, the preview. We're actually gonna talk about the magazine, the book on the other side of the break because you did a roundtable, and the roundtable is not gonna all. Uh, we'll say a lot of the roundtable is gonna make it to the physical cutting room. Floor. Yeah, you gotta blame Dooley. Dooley is released. Dooley is the main guy at fault. He's got two articles. He gave him one article. One article is normally six to eight pages, at most eight pages. We had to split into two, so now he's taking 14 pages, and that's why the roundtable is so short this year. All right. We'll blame Dooley. All right. I'll uh, I'll make him buy me more drinks next time we're at Oscars or something. Right. All right. We're going to talk about the book on the other side of the break as we continue with Brian and Seth here on the M Blog Roundtable on Sports Talk 1050 WTK. The ticket clear on the radio. So we got Otis, John. I hate John. The ticket. I hate drunks at the game, puking all over, just stay at home, get very drunk and puke in your own recliner bowl games, people spilling drinks over other patrons. I actually had that experience at the Orange Bowl years and years and years ago. But I'll be honest that I don't I don't mind the bowl anymore. So I, you know, I'm in the press box. So I don't really know what it's like in the bowl. Except at in Indianapolis, not a problem. In in uh, the bowl game the last couple of years, uh, it only got a problem after the score got out of hand. Or the game was annoying, but the, but there was I never really experienced that. The, he was saying, and so and then he followed up on the other side of it. So many Michigan fans smoking weed before the game. Everyone smells like skunk going to the game. That might that be is possible. Not fair. No one's smoking skunk anymore. <laughs> the, the quality has gone up dramatically from when I was in college. <laughs> I mean, they probably got some stuff that's called skunk, but you know, you don't go <laughs> yeah, you probably bought it for forty dollars really in, in the middle of a spaceship. Jacob, I went to the U of M IU game in 2021, the Fox night game, and that was the longest game ever. Beer inside would have hit peak revenue sales that night. That's definitely there are some games that uh, that would definitely was, bring out the uh, revenue for that sure. Was literally, the game I was thinking of when we were talking about how these things are four hours long was that that I mean that that's what they're doing now, and the UNLV game is going to be at night this year. So you know what. That, that means that there's going to be more time between plays, right? There's going to be longer commercial breaks for UNLV. That game's going to be, you know, 45-3 at the half. First quarter, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> the, I, I, so I go to baseball stadiums all over the country, mm-hmm. and every baseball stadium sells beer. And they've been selling That's beer when you should be drinking beer at games. That's like part of baseball. Yeah, and, and baseball games are slow. Right there's an, and it's and football games you didn't really need it before because it used to used to move faster, but that's where I'm coming coming from is that like if you're gonna slow football down to the speed of a baseball game, then it it just absolutely makes sense and it's weird that we just haven't done it yet. Yeah, my concern would be as a fan if I'm too far from the bathroom if I you know once you. Once you break the you seal, you can also go to the game and not drink beer. I don't drink at the game. Like, you can do that. I'm not, right. I'm saying, and I'm not a, I'm not a big game day drinker when I'm not working, regardless. But uh-huh. I'm not a big drinker, regardless, anyway. So I guess I'm not really the person to be uh, having this conversation. Yeah. So I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. I and not being in the bowl, I can't speak uh, at games in general. I can't speak of what the in bowl experience is like anymore. 
So I'm, I might be down there for like a half a game here or there, like once a season, just to kind of hang out either with uh, Sherry and Grace or whatnot. But otherwise, yeah, I'm very, it's very difficult to speak on, uh, on that. We're it back is, on radio in about yeah. 90 seconds. That is one of my favorite things about MGO blog, by the way, is I can cover Michigan and not have to be in the press box. If I didn't have a post-game show right after the game, I probably would not be in the press box either, mm-hmm. but I can't do a post-game show without taking notes during a game. It would be impossible. And yeah. plus that, getting to the post-game venue, leaving from the bowl is not as easy as getting to the post-game, leaving from the stadium, from the press box, because I could beat everybody out of the bowl and get to my car. So a little inside. Uh, I, but I miss it. I miss it a, a ton. I guess what I love about the last two going down to the... Uh, Sheldon in Atlanta, that was 10 years ago, and I had a couple drinks the night before the Final Four. It was not a work day. It was the night before the Final Four, and that is true, but still not a big drinker. But (laughs) I've thoroughly enjoyed the Big Ten Championship games, and not just because of the result, but because I can go and sit with my wife and sit with my family and go hang out, actually have that kind of uh, experience at a game that I... the, um, The game, the Big Ten Championship game this year and the bowl game this year... It was the first time I had sat at a Michigan football game with my dad outside of beating Florida in Dallas in like 20 years or something. I, I got a story. We can do it after the break because I know we're going to come back soon. But the reason that, what Michigan, that Michigan replay does not exist anymore, the reason re- Michigan replay went off air is the exact thing we're talking about. There you go. All right, guys, we are coming back on air in about 10 seconds. So I will count. Uh, no, I will not be counting you in. Miz will count me in. <laughs> I'm so used to being over there. Stand by, everybody. And we are back on the Michigan Insider here on Sports Talk 1050, WTK, the ticket online at WTKA.com. So it's time to talk some Michigan football with Brian Cook and Seth Fisher. As we're going to have, essentially, Seth, this is kind of like the roundtable with the roundtable because you have a roundtable in your book uh, that's coming out. And uh, there are eight questions in the roundtable conversation. And unfortunately, a fair amount of that could get cut because Dooley is very long-winded, and we appreciate long-winded generally. I, but I, I, I want to make sure people understand. Dooley's articles in this bar, in this book are fantastic. He wrote a... Oh, long-winded uh, is not, you know, not, not, yeah. not a bad. Yeah. He's full of good information. So you know what this book is, right? Like the first half is preview. So we preview the team, we pre- preview the opponents, and then the second half are features from like writers who write about Michigan and... Um, you know, I got John Crick in there. I got Scott Bell in there. I got uh, Adam Schnepp talked to Jeremy Gallon in there. And then I asked Dooley to do something in NIL because he's teaching the class on NIL. And then he comes out with this story that's the first. He, he goes through the entire history of cheating in, in the NCAA, which is not a short history, by the way. And then after talking about everyone who ever cheated in the NCAA, he moves on to like what's going on in NIL, which is also quite a complicated subject and then had to keep on adding things he's like oh this happened too and then like okay now we can talk about the empower program so like it's it just kind of growing and growing and all of a sudden he had two articles and so we split them up um but when that happens to me you know the round table started the back of the is the back of the book that's like the that started because I think in 2008 we just needed to fill some space at the end. And just like that article is great because it can be three pages, it can be eight pages, it can be 11 pages, whatever you need it to be if you're laying out the book. De- depending on where things come in and where and how long the features are, uh, that can kind of make you good wherever you're at. Um, and this year it's just very short because the content was too good. So this is a good problem to have. And yeah. I say this every year. The thing that I love about the book, because the first part of it, you talk about the team preview, a lot of that for me, just because it's I live this just like you guys do, a lot of that is regurgitating information to me. I'll still read through it, but a lot of it is stuff that I've already that I already know. But you get to the second half of that book, and even if I can't get to a lot of that before the season starts, because I'm whatever the reasons are, if I pick that up during like the bye week, that's just all evergreen. Right. There's some of the some of your articles in the book from like five years ago is still really relevant. There's some like the historical stuff is very yeah. evergreen. And those are really fun to pick back up and read. I love the second half of the book. And so if that means that your roundtable conversation is a little bit shorter, so be it, because that means I have some extra bonus reading that I'm going to really enjoy when I'm at the we have summer. other outlets for getting information out when we want to. <laughs> There's a, the Internet, right? There's yeah. a, a thing that doesn't cut. Yeah. Yeah. When you tell the writer <laughs> that he has 24 inches and he writes 30. Yeah. Here, so. So. If you want to get it on Kindle, you can. Uh, you'll be able to read the whole thing. Oh, you get the full version on Kindle. Yeah. Cool. All right. So here are the. I want to read through the questions, and we're gonna have a little conversation on some of these roundtable questions. We'll call it kind of the roundtable on the roundtable, and because uh, I have not answered these questions, and we'll I'm not part of that, that title there, Ira. 
What's that? We'll workshop the title. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's for now. I we, we can work on that. Brainstorming. Yeah. But the first question, I love this question because I use these numbers in conversations with people all the time because it just shuts them up. Uh, but 42 to 27 and 45 to 23, how sustainable is this? That is the question. It's actually a great question. How sustainable is it? Uh, at least for one more year, right, guys? Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked about this on, on this podcast before that, you know, it seems like Michigan has a little bit of advantage right now just in the metagame because so much of Ohio State's recruiting proficiency is locked into one position, which is a wide receiver. And <clears throat> Michigan is running an NFL offense that, I mean, defense that does a much better job of combating that kind of offense. I mean, 23 and 27 points for Ohio State is, is doing work against those guys the last two years. And it doesn't really seem like Michigan is going to have a talent drop-off. I mean, certainly everybody's like, well, you couldn't do much and they couldn't do much because Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo were just wrecking everything two years ago. And then Michigan has a you know a sack by committee approach the next year, and there's not really a drop off in their performance. So you know it feels like even though they changed defensive coordinators a year ago, that there was continuity there because it's just like we're going to run the Raven stuff. And then on the other side of the ball, Jim Knowles is a Big Twelve defensive coordinator for the most part, who only had success in his career. Um, running a three safety approach in the big 12. And so he seems like maybe not the best choice to go after a Michigan team that runs the ball pretty much more than anyone other than the service Academy, <laughs> at least last year and didn't really seem to have um, a good answer for defending that, except get really aggressive and open up big plays of the other way. So yeah, I feel like on some level it is sustainable. Um, on another level, you're probably not going to beat Ohio State by three scores consistently. Just not something. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're we're getting better every year, so we're gonna have. Uh, but but yeah, like the the here's what I what I noticed, and this kind of dovetails on what Brian was saying. Forty two twenty seven after that game, the NFL draft. Ohio State has one defensive player drafted. Forty five twenty three after that draft, Ohio State has one defensive player drafted. Now Ohio State's recruiting like. Georgia and Alabama, or at least they're supposed to be, but they're losing to they're losing the defensive recruits to Georgia and Alabama, except for you know a few cases. They got uh, I always JT Tuimalo, who is Tuimalayo, who's amazing and he's going to be great. And they got um, a, a few other dudes who are out there, but they're also not getting the best out of them, right? They have a five star safety that they wanted instead of Rod Moore, and that guy had was probably responsible for like three or four touchdowns against Michigan and uh, a couple of the big plays besides. So they're not developing their talent very well right now. And when you look back, what happened to Michigan in 2018, 2019, the fundamental problem they had is they didn't have the talent to stick with them, right? They got beat by the crossing routes because Brandon Watson was not going to be able to play the way that Michigan played. And Michigan would have to do something that they don't normally do in order to solve that. 2019 comes around. Michigan does not have the defensive tackles. Ohio State uses duo all day. They push them off the ball. And that was the problem Ohio State had the last two years. When you look at the fundamental issue between these two teams, Ohio State could not defend Michigan's main rushing attack. Michigan has Zinterian Olu. They can pry guys open. And Taron Vinston, who was a very high recruit, is not looking like he's going to be a, you know, a first-round draft pick. And they used to have those guys. They used to have those tackles. They're going to get them again. So sustainability long-term Ohio State's going to be able to recruit good players. If they can't get the coaches, they'll get better coaches. Uh, but that's what's been going on lately. Michigan had a fundamental advantage in the trenches in their running game, their main running game. The main thing that they wanted to do was going to beat the main thing Ohio State wanted to do. And the main thing Ohio State wants to do, Michigan is probably one of the best teams in college football defending it because they focus on all. They defend it the same way that the NFL defends it. And if you look at what the Ravens do every year, you're a Ravens fan, they beat teams that have bad quarter or young quarterbacks to, to a pulp. And then like they go against like Drew Brees and they get sliced up because that's what you need in order to beat the system that Michigan runs. You need someone who knows all the tricks, figures out exactly who's in the wrong spot, and finds it. Well, C.J. Stroud's not that guy. Most college quarterbacks are not going to be that guy. If Ohio State gets that guy, they're going to they're gonna shred. Uh, so... I think Michigan has gotten themselves back to what they should be, which is competitive with Ohio State long-term. 
Short term, Ohio State has not fixed the same problem that ca- that caused 42-27 and 45-23. Real quick aside before we get back to you guys' questions, Michigan uh, was reported they're doing now a beat Georgia drill along with the beat Ohio drill. Does that do anything to you guys? Does it they probably renamed the drill. Honestly, like, like you can, probably. Uh, yeah, they're focused on the. They, they're telling you that they're focused on a national championship, not just a Big Ten championship. Whatever. It's this is this is for the fans who are not looking at like you know deep dive. <laughs> I just hope it's air conditioning sabotage. <laughs> like their, their beat Georgia drill is just like all right. Here's you the wires you got to cut to make sure that the air conditioning doesn't work and everybody is just too tired to to do anything. That's my. Or maybe the oh, the AC goes the other way and they ha- it makes it feel like they're playing in Michigan in November, which they oh yeah, yeah. you're the other side on that. <laughs> so here's a a philosophical question. I'm not can we answer this one? Uh, what's a Sharon Moore Sands Weiss offense look like? Can he keep all his weapons fed? Uh, I mean, I think it looks. I mean, Sharon Moore is going to call the plays. Uh, philosophically, this is still a Jim Harbaugh offense, right? Like. Michigan, I think uh, there's a Twitter guy called Stats at War who's a TCU guy, and he released a bunch of stats. And one of them is run rate over expected. And I think Michigan was about 117th in that, which means their run rate over expected was huge. Um, And I don't think that's going to change that much. You have a second-year quarterback uh, in J.J. McCarthy, so they're probably going to be more comfortable opening up a little bit. But, you know, you got Blake Corum. You got Donovan Edwards. <laughs> this is not going to seem that different. I mean, one thing that has become clear over the past few months is that Weiss had the third down and uh, and red zone. red zone play call, and we've been complaining about the red zone play calling for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, I I don't know. We have a, a lot of reports that you know Weiss wasn't really up with you know Underwood and his exit with the computer crimes thing is this like I don't know I don't know about that guy so I'm hoping that Sharon who everybody loves and has done a really good job uh, will be an upgrade there but it's 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 tough to be a full-time offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach uh, if he can pull it off well he'll be a head coach somewhere pretty soon well, isn't that when Jim says he's got four, at least four assistant coaches on his staff that right now he thinks will be head coaches next year, which is a lot of turnover to, to replace, but I assume Sharon's one of those guys. I, that I'm he's certain Sharon Moore is, Sharon Moore's got to be the top of that list. Sharon Moore is like the only guy on that list. <laughs> like in terms of guys who might be a head coach somewhere next year, there's nobody else. Mm, Jesse Minner got looks last year and he'll get looks again this year, most likely. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it seems like it's like probably a year or two early. And then the guy that gets dinged for his name, but Jay Harbaugh has been phenomenal in the staff and he should be a head coach. I know. <laughs> guys are giving away our I mean, secrets. It's just, <laughs> it's just tough. Cause you don't see guys go from position coaching jobs to head coach. Ah, well. But he's got his, he's got his uncle's resume. He's a special teams coordinator and his uncle went from special teams coordinator to NFL head coach. So it has been done because they always say special teams coaches are the one coaches on the team that work with everybody. And it gives you that rapport with everybody and allows you to know how to work with everybody, whatever that means. But yeah, he'd be on that list too. If I was, I mean, I could, I could see some guys in this list being, uh, I could see guys We're we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Like the question about next year's offense, uh, you know, more is an offensive line coach. He was an offensive lineman and we've seen offensive linemen, be the offensive coordinator at Michigan plenty of times. It's pretty much what we've been seeing at Michigan. Okay, it's, that's what. So even if you know, I, even if we didn't have Jim Harbaugh, and philosophically it's going to be Jim Harbaugh. If you're wondering, like, what do I? Is it different from last year? Not probably not that different from last year. The main things I would say is don't expect as much wide receiver action. Not to say it's last year and it wasn't a whole lot of. But if you're expecting like, okay, now we're really going to open up with the wide receivers probably going to be more like opening it up with the tight ends. I think that a lot of what they're looking at this year, and this is the smart thing to do if you're looking at Michigan's roster, is how do I get my tight end, Colson Loveland, matched against a linebacker? And how do I get my second running back, uh, Donovan Edwards, matched against a linebacker? Nobody has has developed a defensive system today that can handle both of those problems if you have a running back and a tight end on the field as well as those guys. 
So I think you're going to see some Donovan Edwards in the slot so they can bring him around and use him as an extra threat. And I think that you're going to see two tight ends a lot, a lot of times because two tight ends is the way that you get matchups for your good tight end. I also think that if there are subtle tweaks that are different, right? Because I don't, I think you guys are right. It's still Jim Harbaugh's offense, but Sharon's running the offense. I think having JJ healthy this offseason and your starting quarterback, right? Like those two things alone, doesn't that make just that everything should look a little, if nothing else, what does the Sharon Moore offense look like? It looks like last year's, but smoother. Right. Like they with the experience and it's not about even Sharon. It's about JJ. There's no question who your starting quarterback is. And it's not JJ overcoming a shoulder injury in the offseason. He's just leading his team in the throughout the entire offseason, too. Well, I hope more realize because more was the only one last year who called a flea flicker. So maybe now that he's in charge of more downs, we flickers every game. Those. <laughs> flea flickers every game. Isn't that what we've been uh, we've been campaigning they, for? I mean, uh, there's. <laughs> It's not a lie. Like you saw well, how wide open it was when they ran against TCU. They should have come back and run at the next play because TCU wasn't reacting to it. <laughs> All right, I was just stealing my take. It's not <laughs> well, even I was a take anymore. It's just fact. <laughs> it's Brian's take that we have echoed many times on the roundtable and beyond because we agree with it. And when Brian, when you have good points, we like to agree with them. We give you guys, we give you guys your credit. Well, lot of times we say, as the guys in the roundtable said, or as John Bacon said, or as Steve Clark said. All right, third question in your roundtable was face your fears. What could derail this season? Maybe we don't want to answer. Other than that. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, other than that, and we all know what that is. So outside of the obvious. All right, so what could derail a season? Um, It was the obvious, an injury to J.J. McCarthy. Yes. That's that. Yeah. Um, Aside from that, uh, I think you're looking at, um, I mean, it's really hard to come up with something. Like, they, they... pulled in and transfers at all the spots where it's like i don't know about that i mean yeah they have depth at pretty much every position you can't say like okay if this guy goes down if this guy goes out except a quarterback and probably cornerback like will johnson is irreplaceable so but you have you have rod moore coming back for what's basically a contract year for him he'll he'll be aiming for the draft you have will johnson who's probably going to be one of the best corners in the country if senior still back that that secondary looks Loaded. good and like they brought in the UMass transfer to kind of shore up the floor of the second cornerback spot. I mean, I guess you could say like, what if the linebackers don't progress, but even if they don't progress, I mean, they're fine. And like, Chris Partridge is here. I mean, are they not going to have the linebackers ready was, to go? I was thinking like, about this when I was doing the linebacker section is that like the last uh, we've had unrealistic linebacker expectations. I've been really hard on Junior Colson. Uh, and I'm like, where did these expectations come from? Because if I look back, I didn't have these expectations, you know, in the 220, early 2010s or something. I thought that like a linebacker graded out in the mids was like, okay. And then Devin Bush came along. And then we also saw how Josh Ross played right after him. And he had like, and, and Devin Gill was actually grading out really positively back then. And so, and then um, Ben Gedeon was a was a really good linebacker too. And so we had this like reset of expectations for linebacker that we had to kind of get rid of. Well, who was coaching all those guys? It was Chris Partridge. <clears throat> I I remember Devin Gill being a guy who was not grading out well, um, and was a personal favorite of Don Brown because he was a really good guy. But other was, than that, that was yeah. Bolden. I thought Gill was grading out okay. No, Bol- but, Bolden, yeah. Bolden was the guy who showed up every spring and was looked amazing. Right. And then when the fall rolled around and he had to play offenses that he didn't know their playbook back and forth, he had issues. Um, but in any case, yeah, I mean, the defensive line situation seems pretty great. Like they lose Mozzie Smith, that's fine. But people are talking as, uh, about Jenkins as a potential first round pick. And then you have probably a second year blow up from both Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant. You got <clears throat> Rayshon Benny. So you got your four deep there. And then they brought in Josiah Stewart on the edge. They brought in a bunch of offensive line transfers. Like I think the most plausible, like this team isn't as good as uh, we expected it to be is like Ladarius Henderson is the left tackle but there's a reason he was playing guard at Arizona State and the pass protection is just iffy. But even that, it's like, all right, I mean, you have Nugent who's going to get the line calls mostly right, I assume. You have two all Big Ten guards returning. You have 
two different guys who played right tackle last year and weren't overwhelmed. Like it's just hard to like come up with the 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 yeah. Mine was mine was the offensive event. play calling. I don't want to like target Sharon Moore, but that guy's got a lot in his plate. He's not like you know. Uh, but but and here's what Michigan's got: they're not going to be running the quarterback as much as they should because they want to get JJ McCarthy. Getting him healthy is like no, to to the games that matter, and the games that matter are all like after mid November. So that's the main thing that they're going to be focused on, and you're not going to have they're going to play their games, but they're they're going to grind it out. They're not going to really let him kind of lose the ball because you don't want to lose that guy, especially, you know, you don't really want to, you don't want to find out if Ladarius Henderson can't pass block that much, right? Like you can, you, you can see it after a couple plays, but you don't really want to like get a, a huge, um, a sample size on that one. Right. We want to spend most of September and October with JJ Blake and Donovan not seeing the field in the second half. Yeah, we want to see some orgies, right? Like that. Uh, <laughs> oh God! We you just went full Robert Griffin. Never go full Robert Griffin. Tribes. calling for orgy in the end zone. <laughs> That's the horniest man I've ever contemplated. <laughs> Was, I have to, you know, this question, Seth, when you sent me the questions, this question is way more fun to answer this year than say, like, it would have been two years ago. Uh, much more fun because this would have been a really long answer uh, from a couple of years ago. Like, what would keep you from being competitive in your season? So I much prefer answering this question uh, this time of year, uh, this year, because this team does look like they are set to uh, give us another really fun fall. Really only have time probably for one more of these eight questions so we can save the, the rest of them for next week. But I want to ask get to this last one because it kind of ties back to how we started and said, I don't know how you could ask this question in a print publication because by the time you print it, it's got to be different answers. But the fourth question is, is Michigan competitive in NIL? Are they trying to be? Yeah, I mean, they're trying to be. And I think that they have some preconceived notions about what is good and moral that I think are incorrect. Um, just from Ward Manual statements, but they're definitely in the game. Like they've announced the, I forget what it's called. Empower. The yeah, they've announced the Empower thing. Like I think <clears throat> their recruiting this year is evidence enough that while they're probably not slinging around bags like Texas A&M, there's definitely an element there where they're not shying away from it. And if you can leverage your um, <clears throat> brand into into some cash. They're not going to shy away from that. Um, you know, I do think the Hunter Dickinson transfer kind of indicates that Michigan is not fully weaponized here, uh, but <clears throat> that's probably going to take some time. They're going to dip their toes in before they go full bore, but I think that's coming. And you know, I think particularly in football, they've uh, they've turned the corner. There's I think there's a difference, and I've been saying this all along, between NIL and quote NIL. And Michigan in NIL is actually killing it. They've uh, there was a report uh, that Dooley mentioned to me that Michigan's actually sold way more T-shirts than anybody else, like the player T-shirts, um, like those that kind of stuff. We're actually doing really well on, and they've because they were coming at it from a new perspective. Because Michigan did not have a pay the players operation. I mean, I'm sure things were going on, but there was nothing quasi-formalized like it was at most schools, like Notre Dame had, like Ohio State had, like Georgia and Alabama had. They had systems in place. Well, because they already had systems in place, I don't think they were addressing the actual NIL side from the way the Michigan was addressing it, which is, let's really see how much we can sell, right? Like Michigan's business side is doing really well. The Using NIL to drive your uh, what used to be cheating through Michigan is still way behind, and I think that's what we're talking about. And we're trying to do it with Empower. We're going to try to, and that's going to get the donors to redirect some of their funds to things that are just making sure that it, you know if you go to Michigan, you're going to get paid the same as other guys. I don't think that the NIL stuff is really the big part of this. I think the quote NIL stuff is the big part of it. And again. Michigan needs to get over themselves and just say this is what business we're in because the Big Ten's contract is way larger than the NHL's contract. And the NHL 
has they have half as many players to take care of, but the average player there makes three point five million dollars a year. And the average Big Ten player makes way less than that, even when you account to the education and all the food and all the training and everything he's getting. So there's still a long way to go before this market shakes out, and Michigan is going to have to be, you know, on the forefront of this because it's not done moving. All right, uh, we're going to get back to this conversation with you guys next week and beyond. But real quick before we go, Brian, I have one Michigan hockey question for you. The number three pick of the draft last night, Adam Fantilli <laughs> to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Does he follow in the footsteps of Zach Wierenski and Kent Johnson and come back to Michigan for a sophomore year? I don't know. I think that was much more certain if Anaheim went with him because they have top two centers right now who are pretty locked in and they weren't looking to compete next year. I think Columbus is making moves where it's like we could – we could do something next year. There's always the the thought that if you sign a guy right out of college, um, <clears throat> I mean, you're losing his age 27 year to free agency. I mean, I think it's more likely that he goes at this point than, than comes back, which is unfortunate because I thought Anaheim was a great landing spot for getting it back for a second year. So if I had to say and say he's out the door. All right. Well, don't listen to Brian's uh, Adam. Don't listen to Brian. Come back. Guys, appreciate your time as always. Great roundtable with Seth and Brian. We'll get back to them next week. We'll get back to hopefully Sam is back and better, feeling better tomorrow. We'll uh, we'll let you know. Thanks to everybody for listening to the Michigan Insider. And thanks to me as my guy on the other side of the glass as always. Thanks to everybody for listening. This has been the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050, WTKA, Ann Arbor, Accumulus Station. 